Maayang Adla, welcome to Season 3 of Philippine X in Wellness. I'm your host, Cheryl Sampson Ramirez. In our last episode, we launched Season 3 with Ness Marco Morales Cuyagalo talking about dentistry and capoeira. From the perspective of a dental hygienist, we looked into preventative oral care. This month, we are honoring Mental Health Awareness Month with an East Coast twist. Our guest is Pauline Montemayor, licensed psychotherapist and the owner and practitioner of Hope Psychotherapy Service, LLC. Before we begin, we'd like to mention that we uphold and honor this safe space to share. We ask everyone to pose comments and questions on our platform in a peaceful and respectful manner. Our pre-recorded episodes are accessible through our Philippine Ex and Wellness YouTube channel. The audio recordings are available via Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All views discussed are for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to be medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare practitioner for your particular condition, especially before starting any exercise or new health program. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest speaker, Pauline Montemayor. Welcome to the podcast, Pauline. Hi, thank you for having me. It's nice to also have you here. Hi. Hi. And we really also love the opportunity to expand our reach and gather different perspectives on this podcast. That's why we're calling this the East Coast Edition, and we're so thankful to have you on as our guest. Yes, thank you again for having me. I'm happy to represent for the Filipinas community on the East Coast. Sweet. We'd like to open our episodes with one of the first questions you're asked when someone finds out you're a Philippine ex or Filipino. Uh, where is your family from in the Philippines? And where are you currently streaming from in case that's different from where you're residing? So my dad is from Pangasinan in Luzon, and my mom is from Davao in Mindanao. And thanks to my maternal grandmother, I also have some lineage in the Bogobo tribe, because um, she was actually considered a princess in the Bogobo tribe during her time. So I'm definitely proud of my indigenous roots and heritage as well. Um, a lot of people always ask how my parents met, since they're from opposite ends of the Philippines. <laughs> um, but they actually met here in the States and then got married in the Philippines and came back and settled here. Um, so I was born here, I'm first generation, and I'm streaming from a kind of small, but really cool suburban town in, uh, called Montclair in New Jersey. Sweet, there's also Montclair in California. So it's, oh. yeah, it's good to know there's also Montclair over there in New Jersey. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, and we've, uh, what a treat, we've never had anyone in from the lineage or descendant of the Bogobo tribe. Um, it's, it's amazing that you are a descendant from that actual indigenous group located in Mindanao. Is, yes. there, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you know about um, that side of the family? Um, to be honest, I'm still in the process of learning. Um, yeah. It's something that I'm just learning to now more embrace and understand. And I'm actually mm -hmm. traveling back home to the Philippines this summer. So I'm really hoping to connect more there and hopefully gain a lot more knowledge and understanding of the Bogopo tribe and their traditions and ways. Nice. So hopefully more to come. <laughs> we can't wait to hear a report back when you come back. Definitely. Let's dive in, Pauline. Um, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so we decided to devote this episode to mental health in our community. 
when we initially launched on Clubhouse, Rihanna and I interviewed some mental health providers, Erica Tumbaga and And- Andrea Jacks. Um, I believe she's also from the East Coast. Um, I don't know if you know Andrea, but um, they're both licensed clinical social workers. And Jason Bueno, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, all based in Southern California. Um, Pauline, you have your own private practice, Hope Psychotherapy Services LLC, based out of New Jersey. Hope is an acronym from when I saw the spelling. Tell us what it stands for. Sure. So it actually stands for um, healing oneself through positivity and encouragement. Um, I really wanted to base my practice on the foundation of healing. Um, And I do believe that people have the ability to heal themselves. It's just a matter of learning the right skills and tools to be able to do so. Nice. And what a great acronym, first of all. You know, that's that's such a cool, um, you know, way to break it down and really the therapeutic process. Tell us also, um, what made you decide to pursue a career in social work and private practice, Pauline? Sure. So um, after undergrad, I was working in the nonprofit industry um, for about four years. And then, honestly, it was a calling. Um, I really felt called to help people. I really wanted to help people. Um, I especially wanted to help those who were more marginalized populations. And my passion was really wanting to work with the inner city urban youth demographic. Um, So I left my job and I pursued my master's degree in social work. And then from there, I lived out my dream of being able to work with the inner city urban youth. Um, So I worked with children and adolescents and families for the majority of my career, mostly in inner city settings. Um, I worked a lot in the hospital and community mental health agency settings. And then about five years ago, I started my private practice. Um, I started just doing it part time. You know, I was still working in the hospital full time my practice on the side and thankfully over the years um, my clientele built up and last year I took the big dive and I went full-time with my private practice um, so now I'm doing that completely full-time um, but I kind of switched gears so now I'm working mainly with adults and I still see some high school age adolescents um, but I took a break from the kids for now um, so you know this kind of allowed me to have more autonomy in my work and be able to do more deep, um, meaningful work with adults and, and older age adolescents. Nice. And so are you still working with the same inner city, like urban demographic um, in your private practice? It's actually a mix now. Um, so I still have some clientele from that demographic or those who actually grew up in that environment. And then I also have those who are from more of the suburban or middle class um, areas as well. So there's a blend now. You mentioned earlier that you were in Montclair. Um, what's the closest big city to you? Uh, Newark is a couple minutes away. Not a couple minutes, like maybe like 15 minutes away. So that's okay. probably the, the biggest city that's close to where we are. I know Newark is a lot of, um, that's also a good place to fly in when you're going to New York. So I'm imagining yes. you're in the northern part of Jersey. Yes, that is correct. Cool. And let's talk more about Jersey for our our listeners that don't know too much about Jersey or haven't visited it. And obviously, we know it's way more than Jersey Shore is what we see on TV. (laughs) Yes, that is for sure. (laughs) I mean, New Jersey has its pockets of Philippine ex-communities, 
contrary to popular belief or maybe people that don't know. Uh, what areas in New Jersey have the most Filipinx uh, or Filipino populations? Let's start there. So um, there actually, like you said, are good amount of Filipinos here in Jersey. I would say majority are in the northern or central regions of the state. Um, most of us live in areas that are pretty close to New York City. Like we're all within like 30, 45 minutes commute to New York, um, whether by car, train or bus. So we're kind of near the metropolitan area. There are some Filipinos who live in South Jersey, but not as many. <laughs> so yeah. the bulk, I would say, are more in the northern and central region of the state. All right. So m most of the Filipinos that you know, do they commute into the city um, to work or some of them stay in Jersey? It's a blend of both. Um, some do work in New York and some stay here in Jersey. So there's, you know, it's easy access to both. I think it just depends on where they land jobs or where they want to work. And then so. in regards to your clientele, uh, what are kinds of industries are they in? Is it similar to like what we see here on the West Coast? Healthcare, maybe accounting, engineering? What, yeah. If you could tell so, us more um, about that demographic. Yeah, sure. With my Philippine X clientele, um, it actually ranges with their industries as well. There are some who are in healthcare, um, some who are in education, in engineering, entertainment industry, fashion industry, service industry. So they're all pretty much young professionals, but the industries definitely vary. Okay. And do you find that your clientele that are like Filipino, because I'm assuming you also have non-Filipino clientele. Yes, I do. Okay, so the ones like that are Filipino. Um, what's their demographic in terms of, let's start with male, male to female ratio. A majority are female. So yeah, a couple males, but not as many. <laughs> Definitely more female. Yeah, male identified, I should correct myself. Male yeah, or sorry, female yeah, identified, well. yeah. Yes, correct. And then also in regards to um, age group, um, mm -hmm. what, is, what does that consist of? Um, mostly in their 20s and 30s. Okay. And you yes. do you also see adolescents that are Filipino or? Currently, I don't. The adolescents that I do see are non-Filipino. Okay. Let's talk about um, what are the reasons why you're a Filipino clients or your Filipinx clients, they why do they seek therapy or private practice with you? Um, for most of them, it's usually dealing with um, anxiety or depression or they have like some trauma history. Um, also, just some issues around cultural identity as well. And so, would you say that these are the top three mental health challenges that your clientele is mainly facing? Yes. All yes. right. Tell us more about that. Um, let's kind of really um, look at that at that um, in a deeper like way and, and mm -hmm. talk about all of them. So you mentioned anxiety. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. What are some of the reasons or factors that play into anxiety amongst your clientele within our community? Sure. So what I've seen and observed is um, a lot of times with the anxiety, there's a lot of pressure, I think, to be very like performative in everything that they're doing, meaning like I feel like a lot of them attach their self-worth based on their accomplishments, you know, what they achieved in school, professionally and life milestones. So I think a lot of time there's anxiety about like, did I do enough? Am I doing enough? Um, and also like 
is my family okay with my choices? You know, are my parents approving of the things that I'm doing or the things that I'm choosing for myself? Um, and with that, I think there's also been a lot of anxiety just because of, you know, people having feelings of uncertainty or having feelings of self-doubt and not being sure if they're making the right choices or if they're doing enough or doing what would be pleasing or acceptable to their parents or to other family members. Um, and what I've seen is a lot of like people pleasing behaviors, which I think also correlates with the anxiety, but I think that also ties into the depressive piece as well. Okay. Just maybe um, looking into the anxiety piece more, mm -hmm. where, where do you think that people-pleasing behavior comes from, from what you're seeing? Um, I think a lot of it comes from the upbringing. Um, I think with, um, you know, most of my uh, Filipino clientele are either first generation or they immigrated here when they were young children. Um, so most have grown up in very traditional like old school, you know, Filipino households with parents who still carry very old school traditional values. Um, and with that, I think is a lot of the mentality of like, you know, the parent is always right. You know, you have to comply, obey and do what your parents are asking you or telling you to do. Um, so I think with that, there's a lot of people pleasing tendencies and behaviors that form and people having fears about diverting away from that or disappointing or upsetting family members or loved ones, not just even in family. I've seen it with, you know, having fears of not pleasing people in the workplace or in their friendships or in their relationships. Um, so I think just that whole like dynamics of there being more of an authoritative um, parental role and that mentality of like almost, a, I guess, entitlement of, you know, the parents always correct and you got to do what I say has kind of bred, I think, a lot of people pleasing behaviors and tendencies in others. I see. And it sounds like when when you really are striving for that people pleasing behavior, that also connects to a form of depression, especially if you can't mm -hmm. always meet yes. those types of demands that either they their parents are putting on them or sometimes they're putting on themselves. Do you find that it's more, is it a both? Is it that, that our community is just feeling the demand from our parents and then ultimately it's manifesting onto this pressure that we put on ourselves? Yes, I, I do see that. Um, I feel like it is this pressure of not only pleasing, pleasing their parents, but also pleasing their coworkers or their friends or partners you know, their colleagues and even like strangers or people they don't even really care so much for. There's always like this worry of like, not even worry, but also a guilt I've seen, you know, people feeling ashamed or feeling guilty when they're, when they feel that they've let someone down or when they've disappointed someone or said no to something. And I think, you know, where it kind of ties into the depression part is that, you know, when you're people pleasing, you're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for other people. You're living to meet other people's needs and putting your needs on the back burner. And ultimately that leads to a lot of unhappiness because now you're not able to fulfill what you want for yourself. Let's unpack the depression a bit more now that mm -hmm. we're segueing into that. What does depression uh, look like um, amongst your Philippine next clientele? I think for a lot of them, it, it is the unhappiness. Um, you know, sadness for a lot of them or, you know, having crying spells. 
sometimes them feeling um, unmotivated or feeling very lost or confused about their life path or their choices and decisions and about their futures, you know, if, if what they're doing is the right thing or if they'll be successful in their future. Okay. You also mentioned generational trauma, Pauline. How does that uh, look like with your Philippine ex clientele? I, I know in a past episode, we've talked about generational trauma and intergenerational trauma with our mental health providers on Clubhouse. And unfortunately, we weren't able to record that episode. But now we have an opportunity to really dive in and talk about intergenerational trauma within our community and how it manifests within mental health. So bring us you know, to that place of what is intergenerational trauma and generational trauma, as you coined it to, what does that look like in regards to our community and within your clientele? Um, so I think a lot of what I've seen is, is patterns, you know, repeating from things that, you know, parents or even grandparents experience. And now it's, it's now it's repeating in, in this current generation. Um, so this includes things such as like abuse, like emotional or even physical abuse. Um, another common one is around finances, um, because, you know, there are sometimes families that grew up in a lot of poverty in the Philippines. And then coming here to the States, you know, there's so much worry and stress around money and finances that sometimes the children then adapt that same worry, that same burden about money and being financially successful and stable. Um, also things like emotional unavailability are things I've seen too, um, or passive aggressive communication, like just the, um, sometimes a lack of emotional support um, or the the poor communication skills are repeating in, in cycles in these generations. And I think in this current generation now, what's happening is they've adopted a lot of these things and it's now manifesting in, in several different aspects of their life, not only in the family and in the home, but even in their own personal relationships um, or personal endeavors as well. Yeah, a lot of the things unfortunately, that we've inherited from um, colonialism or inheriting also this colonial mentality has permeated through so many factors or relationships, you mentioned, environments with that um, we deal with in our daily lives. You talked about physical and emotional abuse. And um, we know when we look at history, we see the origins of that. It's It's similar to what we see in other um, BIPOC or, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities that have had a colonial history, right? Um, in regards to maybe what the conquistador or the missionaries had inflicted upon, like, the Indigenous people within the Philippines, that unfortunately has passed down, been passed down from generation to generation. The financial piece is, is really interesting. So when you're looking at um, stress around finances, is it that um, people feel like they're not making enough or maybe when they are making that money, they don't know how to uh, financially invest it or spend it appropriately? Um, I think it's, you know, 
like the worry, even when they are actually financially successful and they have, you know, very successful careers, there's still this lingering fear of they're going to run out of money, you know, or they're not going to have enough to sustain or to be able to do the things they want to do. Like there's always still some kind of worry in their mind about either money running out or they're not being enough or they'll just lose the money one day. Um, I haven't seen so much of like misspending or like misallocating, but I think it's just been more and more of the worry of there, I guess, not being enough money, even though they are actually making good incomes. Right. That it's kind of like that mentality that lack rather than right. That feeling that like not the opposite of abundance, but really feeling deprived. Yeah. Yeah. And and you also talked about emotional unavailability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, what does that look like? Um, give us a little bit more of detail in regards to that and what you're seeing. Sure. So some things I've seen um, are, you know, a lot of people's experience with their parents has been that the parents were maybe physically there and definitely financially provided in terms of you know, education, monetary things, material things. But when it comes to the emotional piece, um, their parents were not really present. Um, a lot of what I've seen is, you know, some of my Philippines clientele is, you know, for those that have mental health issues and have actual diagnoses, um, a lot of times those were dismissed or minimized by family members or they didn't understand that they were actually having these significant mental health challenges. I also think part of it too is um, there not being space for people to be able to express themselves emotionally or be able to feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable with their parents or their family members and talk about their challenges and their hardships. Because then there's the whole notion of either one, they don't want to be a burden to their parents or they don't want to disappoint them, you know, or let them down. And then that feeling of indebtedness also. Like, oh, they did so much for me. I can't be complaining about these problems I'm having because this is not as big as to what they may have experienced. Yeah, um, that utang ng loob value that we talk yes. about a lot. Mm-hmm. And what do you see is the core of it all? When you think about the core of all of the things that you're manifesting, what, where would you even begin to start in terms of like all these like, mental health challenges that you're seeing um, amongst the cl- our clientele and within our community, what do you um, think? What do you see as the origin and, and the core? Like, are they within uh, wrapped up in our uh, value system? Like, um, are there? Do you see them attached to certain events? I think um, I think it's a mix of different things. I think some of it is in our value system. I think it's also in our family um, structures. I also think um, a lot of it has to do with our communication patterns and habits. Um, you know, there not being a lot of space being held for other people to express themselves or a lot of passive aggressive communication, which I think sometimes some Filipino elders are like notorious for sometimes. Um, And I think a lot of it boils down to a lot of like feelings of personal or like self um, rejection or feeling um, inadequate 
Uh, and I think that's a very deep wound. I think that ties all the way back to colonization, you know, and the the rejection that, you know, we our people faced, you know, by the Spaniards and the Americans and all of that. But I think we are still carrying some of that wound within us. Um, but I, I notice a lot, there's a lot of lack of self-validation that goes on, you know, and, and people feeling like what they're experiencing is not right or is mm-hmm. not good enough or is wrong. And I always say like, whatever you feel is, is valid. You know, no one else has to validate that. But I think the, the lack of validation that often happens at home or in the family dynamic then carries over into the personal experience. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the root is there too. You mentioned that you have predominantly female-identified clientele and some male-identified clientele. Mm-hmm. Are, are there distinctions between the challenges that you're seeing um, with, between the two gender identifications or, and roles? Not really, actually. It's the, the issues are actually the same across both sides, um, which is interesting as as well. I think if anything on the male side um, or the male identified side, it's just more about like, you know, the responsibility of being like the, the man or being like the kuya um, in the home. But I think in terms of the other issues that we were discussing, it's it's the same. Mm-hmm. It's actually the same from what I've seen. And hearing all of this too, I actually want to circle back to your own personal story in in pursuing this mental health career, Pauline. Mm -hmm. What was it like within your own family when you told your parents you were going to pursue a a career in mental health? Um, Normally, that's not something that like a lot of our our parents want us to choose when we go on a career path. So um, let's bring in your personal story into this. Sure. Um, my parents were actually supportive of it. Um, I think they were kind of worried about like, if I make enough, you know, money. <laughs> since, you know. Your clients deal with, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know they had a lot of concerns and worries about me working in the inner city areas, um, just because of like the, you know, the danger and the risks. I think that was challenging for them to understand that I actually wanted to be in these areas. Most people don't want to work in those areas or work with that population of people. They prefer to be in like safer, more affluent neighborhoods. And I actually wanted to be there. I wanted to work with that demographic of people. So I think they had a hard time understanding that because I think it was kind of like, why would you want to go there when we've afforded you this life and you can, you know, work in safer neighborhoods and and work with people, you know, who are not in those, you know, more challenging uh, life situations. But I think that was kind of where the challenge was, was them understanding, you know, my calling to that, to that population of people. And you probably got close uh, when you were working in the hospital setting there, like, oh, it was something that they could recognize and say, oh, you know, now you're working in the hospital setting with all the other Filipino nurses. <laughs> yeah, it's healthcare, so it's it's safe right. <laughs> you know, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the stigma piece because mental health or seeking talk therapy is a stigma mm-hmm. within our community. So 
what is your take on the stigma? Let's 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 talk about that and unpack that. Sure. Um, it's annoying. Yeah, <laughs> it's so annoying and it's so outdated. Um, I think you know, looking at the the generational gap, you know, I think a lot of older, um, you know, Filipinos have the mentality that, you know, there must be something really, really wrong with someone if they have to go to therapy. Um, And I I completely disagree. I always say there doesn't have to be anything wrong for someone to go to therapy. In fact, it's probably better if you go before something, you know, before a crisis or something happens. Um, But also what I've seen, I think, in this, in this younger generation of Filipino clients is, um, you know, to be honest, some of them don't tell their parents that they're in therapy mm. um, or having told family members because of the stigma and because of the worry that the they're going to be judged. Right. They're going to be judged. They're going to be, you know, questioned or shamed for seeing me, you know, or for going to therapy. Um, and I think some of them also struggled with, you know, feeling like, are my problems big enough for me to come in, you know, because I think sometimes in, you know, expressing some of their stressors with parents or older relatives um, and their families, a lot of times the problems are really minimized. Like, oh, that's not so bad. When I was your age, I had to do this, this, and this. And then there's this comparison going on Mm. that is really not fair, because the experiences are going to be completely different. It's a different mm-hmm. generation, different time, different culture. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's that piece of it, too. Hmm. I know when we were preparing for this show, Pauline, we we're also talking about clientele. You mentioned industries earlier mm-hmm. that your clientele um um, works within like so you mentioned entertainment fashion engineering they work in a, a education we were also talking about um, identity within the context of these industries and how maybe some of them work in industries where they're the only like Filipino or um, a Philippinex person within that industry and how they have to break through this type of identification or uh, being able to uh, claim themselves within these spaces. Let's talk about that. I know we didn't mention that in our um, mental health challenges, but I'd love to talk about that further for our listeners and our viewers to just kind of marinate on that. Sure. So um, kind of just to backtrack, I think a lot of the um, Filipinx clientele I work with have had experiences even in childhood where they were the only Filipino, the only Asian, sometimes the only person of color in their neighborhood or in their school. So sometimes, you know, they had experiences of bullying, you know, or being ostracized or being shamed, you know, for who they are. And the thing with Jersey is like as many Filipinos as we have here, and even if you live in a town where there's like a good amount of Filipinos, you're still the minority. You're still going to be the minority amongst everybody else. Um, so, you know, some of them have had experiences of feeling ashamed to be Filipino and having to try to hide their cult, hide our culture 
were trying to assimilate with those who were around them. And then from there, what's happened is now some of them have gone into these industries and workspaces where they are the only person of color or the only Asian or the only Filipinx person. And there's now this challenge of navigating, you know, this experience of being the only one. And I think a lot of it is um, what I've seen is like them, you know, often being very passive and having a lot of challenges being able to take up space and be assertive and advocate for themselves, even when there is times they've been mistreated, you know, Mm -hmm. or have had things done in the work setting that were not really necessarily fair or correct, they would be Mm -hmm. afraid to speak up or afraid to say something. Um, So I think that passivity kind of translated from childhood now into adulthood in the the professional settings. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's been, you know, a lot of challenges for them just figuring out how to be themselves and be comfortable and be confident in the workplace. And, you know, and I think in adulthood too, them trying now to tune in more to their Filipino identity and embracing our culture, there's this struggle now of like, man, all these years I was trying to not be Filipino or was, you know, shamed. And now I'm so proud to be it, but I don't know how to show that you know, in a way that might be accepted by my work peers or my colleagues. Mm. So that's, those are some of the internal conflicts that some of your clients um, deal with and, and talk to you about. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. I think this is a good area and um, segment to um, take a break in. So I wanted to just say it's been a great first half talking with you. And um, we're barely touching the surface about mental health awareness, Pauline. We're at the first half of our segment. Thank you all for joining us for our second episode of season three. We're talking with licensed clinical social worker and owner of Hope Psychotherapy Services, LLC, Pauline Montemayor. Feel free to take a quick stretch, refill your water or tea. We'll be right back after this quick break. With no cape on, hoodie on this for Trayvon On a load of new James Bond, I just wanna get paid for Saving souls in the same song, struggles I see like Ray Charles God I see, the God in me, the struggle actually made stars Behind my eyelids a darker future, watch me create a brighter future Manifest my vision Martin Luther, some thought I'd lose but I moved up My soul so lost in confusion until I saw the illusion Broke through it when I brought the truth in, didn't take a second thought to do this Low key in the lower east, crouching from the rooftops like how these thugs pick up him and suddenly they feel godlike Till they shot right on their own street like came at the stoplight I'ma put this to a stoplight, all these lies gotta stop like Beware who you let close, enough to cut your neck though Fake friends being buddy-buddy, dap and hug me really F those Jealousy envy, I pray it don't end me Pray for my enemies and those who pretend to be something they not while I'm here Nothing is blocking my destiny Be Be your own, 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 be your own
Welcome back to Philippine Exin Wellness. You were just listening to the first part of Be Your Own Hero Rebirth by Mark Bayani Teodosio off of his 2021 album Be Your Own Hero Rebirth. You can help support Bayani by following him on Facebook or on Instagram at bayani.nyc. You can find his music on most streaming platforms including Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, iHeart, Deezer, and Pandora. Shout out to our, all of our Philippine X musicians out there laying down the tracks. Returning from our break, we've been talking with Pauline of New Jersey's Hope Psychotherapy Services, LLC. Continuing the conversation from our first half, Pauline, you identified what you consider the top three mental health concerns in your region within the Philippine X community. In your opinion, what are the strategies or interventions that exist within our community and culture to address the identified mental health concerns that you mentioned? Okay, so um, firstly, I consider myself to be more of an eclectic therapist, um, meaning that I like to pick and pull from different modalities and different interventions, um, because I do feel that everyone is unique and different, and some strategies and interventions may work well with one person but may not resonate so much with the other. So some of the common ones that I typically utilize with my Philippine X clientele are um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is just a lot of work about reframing um, negative thoughts, which can help to reduce like anxiety or depressive symptoms. Another big one is um, mindfulness. So just helping the clients to increase their awareness and their connection to the present moment, their connection to um, their current thoughts or current feelings um, that they're having. I do a lot of work around self-esteem, um, given what we talked about. So I do a lot of work with like positive affirmations, um, a lot of self-esteem building, um, working on increasing gratitude and having like daily gratitude practices as well. Um, and this is also just to help build confidence and to help build autonomy, you know, over a person's own life and them feeling confident, not only about themselves, but also about their life choices. Um, some of the other things, oh, this is a big one, is um, boundaries. Oh, I do yeah. a lot of work <laughs> with um, boundary setting, especially with family members. Um, I've noticed a lot of times, and I can kind of relate to this on a personal level, that sometimes in Filipino families, there are sometimes kind of blurry or poor boundaries sometimes. Totally. Yeah, so I've had to do a lot of work with just teaching what boundaries even are, um, teaching you know how to set and maintain appropriate and healthy boundaries with other people. And I think the biggest part around that is um, a lot of times, you know, clients feel guilty and they feel badly when they have to set boundaries, um, especially with family. So I think it's working on, you know, reducing those feelings of guilt as well and then to feel confident and empowered enough to set the boundaries that they need to with the, those that they have to do that with. Um, another one is some attachment theory stuff. For those that are familiar or not, there's like the core ones of like secure, anxious, and avoidant attachment. And, um, you know, we all have our attachment styles typically based on how we grew up in childhood. So for those that, you know, resonate with that, I do some work around attachments as well. Let's um, talk about that a little bit more. So you talked about um, cognitive behavior therapy. Uh, 
cognitive behavior therapy. Let's talk about what's attachment、um, theory. Let's unpack that. Sure. So、um, there's typically the main three. There, there's different sub theories, I guess. But the main three would be、um, secure attachment, which is basically a healthy attachment style. You know, you're okay. The person's not there or not responding. You don't get you know worried or afraid about anything. So the secure attachment is like the ideal attachment that people would like to have. There's also the anxious attachment style, which is、um, basically when the connection is disrupted or disjointed in any kind of way, it can trigger an anxious response in the other person, and there's like a fear of abandonment or fear of losing the connection with the other person. And then there's avoidance.、Um, avoidant are typically people who you can't get too close, <laughs> you know. So. They'll engage, but when the relationship starts to get into more deeper or you know levels of vulnerability or intimacy, they tend to back away, or they'll push the other person away, or do things to kind of create barriers. So the relationship can only kind of hit a certain level before they they back off. And do you find a certain type of attachment style more? Like common within our community versus the other, or the, out of the three that you mentioned, from what I've seen,、um, a lot of anxious attachment and some avoidant、mm. as well, depending on their their childhood experience and, and upbringing. Right now, how do you talk people through that? Through those types of like, yeah, anxious or avoidant types of attachments. So I, you know, like to first like go educate them about the different attachment styles,、um, and then from there I like to help bring awareness, you know, to what it is, what's happening, you know, in their interactions or relationships that's causing their attachment like system to get activated,、um, and then also like <clears throat> teaching them、um, ways to cope, you know, when they are feeling certain emotions connected to it. And I also like to dive in and look about, look into their childhood, and and see where this may have formed. You know, like what happened in their relationship with their parents, or in their in their childhood experiences with their caregivers that may have kind of started the、um, formulation of these different attachment styles.、Mm. I want to dissect the boundaries piece, <laughs> Pauline, because you mentioned、mm-hmm. that's a big one、yes. within our community.、Um, sometimes. Even you know, putting placing boundaries seems like such a Western concept, and you and you mentioned also a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt in your clientele. So before we dive into guilt, how do you teach、um, boundaries like within our community to our clientele? How do you even? Where do you begin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.、Um, obviously, for us, it's just explaining what boundaries even are. And I, I always say to clients that、um, boundaries are healthy and they are necessary in every relationship, not just family, but even with friends, romantic partners, colleagues. They are necessary, and and the point of boundaries because I think a lot of times people hear boundaries and they think it's something negative, right,、um, or that it's going to be like damaging to the relationship, totally. but. What I teach is that boundaries actually help to protect the relationship and to protect the person. 
because without boundaries, lines are getting crossed and that can often breed anger, resentment, you know, conflict. So now the relationship is more at risk of being, you know, damaged or strained without the boundaries. So I try to teach it in a way to see for them to see that these are actually healthy strategies and that it's healthy to have boundaries with people. Otherwise, lines can constantly get crossed. And then now the person may end up feeling upset or frustrated or not wanting to continue this relationship with certain individuals. So. I mean, but even talking through that process, I can imagine um, maybe some of your clients might feel that they're being disrespectful when they implement these boundaries because then it yeah. kind of borders, right, that line of, you know, am I respecting my elders? You know, what I've been taught is to constantly respect them and not question. Mm-hmm. And so how do you even, like, get them to, like, you know, start implementing boundaries? Do they rehearse it with you in, in their sessions or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we'll talk about like what the boundaries look like, you know, because boundaries can be through action or it can be even or through words. Right. So sometimes we'll walk through, okay, what does this boundary look like, you know, or what could you say? And sometimes, you know, we'll talk through what they could say to communicate the boundary to the person. Um, I think part going to what you're saying, too, I like to unpack the part about like, it's not necessarily disrespectful. And I think that's, that comes with our culture of feeling like, oh, if you're not doing what your parents are asking or telling you to do or your relatives, that that's disrespectful. You know, and I think we there's this huge association with disrespect and, you know, noncompliance or talking back or, you know, and, and that's not the case, you know. So one of the first things I always say to people is like, just because you're doing something that's different, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Because I think that that's a very common um, perception that a lot of Filipinos have is like, oh, if I'm doing something different than my parents want or what my relatives want, like I'm wrong for wanting this or choosing this or being this. And it's not. Right. You know? Or even asking or maybe like even asking being asked to attend like a birthday party or a holiday party but yet you might have an obligation to do something with a friend or maybe you have time built in to like build you know practice self care but then it's it's difficult right having to prioritize yourself or your own needs then then to like again, give of yourself to attend that holiday party or birthday party where you might be surrounded by family members that you don't necessarily get along with or agree with? Are these types of situations, scenarios that you see similarly in your clientele? Yeah, again, I think it boils down to that whole guilt, you know, and feeling obligated to honor family commitments and events but I'm like, okay, family is important, but like your life is important too, you know? And I think it's about finding the balance. You know, I, a lot of times when I teach boundary stuff, I always say to clients that, you know, it's it's really about what works for you. Um, Cause I think going back to the people pleasing thing, a lot of times people are thinking about how is this, this person gonna feel if I do this? How are they gonna react to my boundary? But the focus isn't where it should be, which is on the self. 
you know, so I always, you know, when people are trying to figure out what boundaries to set, I always say like, okay, what feels, what feels good to you? What feels right? What feels healthy for you? That's what the boundary should be. And it's less about the other person's feelings and more about you. Um, so I think that, you know, it kind of ties into the whole people pleasing aspect as well. That could also be such an internal culture clash, right? For, 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 I guess, first generation or American born like Filipinos or Filipinx people where when they prioritize themselves, it's seen as individualization, right? Where when, when, um, our parents may have grown up or our relatives or grandparents may have grown up in the Philippines, it's not about yourself. It's about the group. And it's about like the the community that you live in, and it's about the extended family. So mm-hmm. that must be really hard sometimes to like really find a balance between the two. Yeah, it definitely can be. It is. I think it's because it is that cultural clash, like I think you mentioned, and um, and that's where I think a lot of the, the feelings of the guilt and you know the shame and stuff come up because um, the perspectives are so different. Um, but I think, you know, I always say nothing has to be to the extremes. You know, I think it's just about finding the working balance, like where you can still do stuff for yourself, but also still honor your family commitments and obligations as well. Totally. Of all the therapeutic modalities that you practice, are there certain ones that resonate with our community the most? Um, I would say it depends on the client, you know, for some, I think, you know, like the cognitive behavioral therapy strategies work well, some mind, the mindfulness works well. Um, I mean, boundaries, I think that goes across the board. I think all people, you know, connect with that one. Um, and another one that I actually forgot to mention earlier, was also about, um, the positive self-talk and think that that's an important one that, um, people can utilize, you know, to overcome their, especially their anxiety, um, but yeah, I think it varies depending on the person and their personality and experience as well. Are there certain books out there that you would recommend of, or authors that you recommend people that they could read about any of the modalities that you're talking about? Um, I do. There is a book called Attached. Um, that mm-hmm. one actually explains attachment theory. Um, and I love that book because it's actually not super clinical. It's really written, although it was written by people in the mental health field, um, they designed it in a way that the comment, anyone could read the book. You don't have to be in the mental health industry to understand the terminology and, and everything like that. So that is really a great book to read just to kind of understand basic attachment theory. And it's cool because you can take a quiz in there to see like what kind of attachment style you have or what attachment style your partner has and it gives you different strategies to learn how to work through some of the um feelings or experiences you have that are connected to your attachment style nice and medication um is that something that you integrate also within your uh like therapy like do you bring in um medication with your clients and what are their views towards it so um, most of my clients already see outside um, like psychiatrists or APN, like psych APNs um, for those who are on medication. It's actually a mixed bag with the views on medication. I have some who really prefer not to take medication and would just rather do the talk therapy or find more holistic methods. 
to address their challenges and their issues. And then I do have some that take medication regularly and have found it to be very helpful um, and stabilizing for them. So I think it really varies per person and what their experience is. But, you know, if there are clients that I see are having a lot more severe symptoms and they think I think that they could maybe benefit from at least exploring the possibility of medication, I do recommend that they see a psychiatrist that could uh, better assess them and evaluate. Great. Let's talk about your private practice, Pauline. Um, Can you remind our listeners and viewers, where is your private practice space? Sure. So it is located in Montclair, which is in northern New Jersey. And then do you take insurance and are you accepting new clients that are looking? So I do accept insurance. I do take Horizon, um, Blue Cross Blue Shields, or any other um, Blue Cross Blue Shield plans. Unfortunately, I am not accepting any new clients at this time um, because I am fully booked. I wish I could take on more clientele, um, but unfortunately, all my slots are full. So I have a waiting list, um, but I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not able to accept anyone at this time. Okay. And... Um... Is your therapy um, both in-person and teletherapy? Yes, I do offer both, both in-person and telehealth sessions. And since your your um, clientele is already like fully booked, um, if you were to refer out um, or if, for our listeners and viewers that are listening in from other regions globally, mm-hmm. um, do you have a way to recommend that they could find a, a therapist um, you know, within a certain network or within a certain region? Sure. So first place to start is if you have insurance, you can always check through your insurance provider to see the list of providers that are in your network. Um, The second one is a website that I always recommend to people. It's psychologytoday.com. What I love about this website is that you're able to filter your criteria. So you're able to put in any specific qualities, or attributes that you're looking for in your therapist, and then they can they'll filter the therapist based on what you put in in your search. So you can even find you know therapists that are you know are Filipino or are, are have familiarity with our culture or the Asian American culture. Um, so that's always a great site that I recommend for people to utilize when they're searching for a therapist. Great, thank you. Before we close, we always like to ask our guests, what are your own wellness practices? So uh, we know that you have a full um, list of clients that you see. And so how do you balance yourself when you're not in private practice? What do you do um, for self-care that might be inspirational for other individuals, Pauline? Okay, so I've had to develop some really solid self-care practices (laughs) over the years because, uh, you know, this work is challenging and it can take its toll sometimes. So my main one, well, one of my main ones is I go to therapy myself. Um, I've been in therapy for years now and it's been extremely helpful for me. So that's something that I go to every week. Um, my second one is I fitness and exercise. Um, I love to work out. I love doing different workouts. And this might be really surprising to some people, but I'm actually a boxer. Um, boxing is like a huge passion of mine and I actually fight and compete on the amateur level of boxing. Oh. Yeah. A lot of people think boxing is violent, but I mean, it can be, uh-huh. but, uh, it really helps to build mental fortitude and it helps a lot for me to build, you know, self-esteem and confidence, empowerment, especially as a woman. 
Um, so that's one of my main outlets is, is actually boxing. I, I train very regularly um, throughout the week. Um, on the flip side, <laughs> I am also a very spiritual person. Um, so I do practice meditation regularly. I journal regularly. I love to read self-help books, just like anyone else would read or pick up in Barnes & Noble or any bookstore. Um, I find those to be really helpful. I also recently um, got certified as a Reiki 2 practitioner. So I Yay. do a lot of Reiki. Yeah, I do a lot of Reiki on myself. Um, but this is a service that I'm hoping to roll out to my clients in the near future. Um, and being in nature is really healing for me. So I love to, you know, go for a walk or hikes in the park, go to the beach when it's warm here, you know, hit the Jersey Shore, not like MTV style. That's not really my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like going to the beach and, and spending time in nature. And, you know, I, I try to do a lot of things that are very grounding um, and very centering for me because I, I need that, you know, in order to be able to continue to sustain and do this work. Being a boxer, were there any? Are there any boxers that you follow that, that inspire you? That have you know throughout this journey? That's kind of cool. Thanks. Um, I am a diehard Pacquiao fan, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, my dad was a huge Pacquiao fan, and so I, you know, kind of grew up watching a lot of him. Um, so yeah, he's that's to me that he's the greatest. I don't care what anyone says, but I, I'm a huge Pacquiao fan. Um, but there definitely are some current boxers that are really great. There's some great female boxers out there right now that I also follow, like um, Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano. Like, there's some good fighters there, too. Um, but yeah, Pacquiao is definitely number one. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and what about in regards to meditation? Are there certain um, apps or certain styles? Because that, that whole, it, well, that could be really broad as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's different ones. I actually have a spiritual mentor that I study with. So I've learned different meditation techniques, um, through her. A lot of the ones I utilize are trying to really connect with my own like inner power and also connecting more like with the spiritual world. Um, I use an app called insight timer, which basically mm -hmm. has, you know, different bells and stuff, and you can pick different background sounds. And if you wanted to utilize that, I like to sometimes meditate in silence, yeah. um, but guided meditations are also really helpful too. I know they have like calm and headspace are also very common apps that people utilize for that also. Cool. As you begin to close, how can our listeners find you if they have additional questions? Sure. So um, you can contact me via my website, which is hopepsychotherapynj.com. Um, there is an option there for you to email me if you wanted to reach out. And also on Instagram, it's the voice for change and for being the actual number four. So the voice number four change. All right. Thank you, Pauline, for talking to our community about mental health awareness. We're so honored to have featured you on our podcast for our community to learn more about mental health from an East Coast perspective. We're excited to witness how your journey continues to unfold and are here to support you as your Philippine X and wellness family moving forward. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. 
And to our listeners, look out for our next episode in June. We will be taking a turn and be. We will actually be exploring cycling as it relates to wellness with our guest Jordan Laksamana, based in Vancouver, Canada, our first Canadian on the podcast, and Nelson Raboy of Long Beach, California. This episode will air during our Wellness Wednesdays on June 14. As we close, we'd like to say thank you again to our guest speaker Pauline Montemayor, our social media strategist Kathleen Torrio our graphic designer and beat maker for our opening and closing track, Richie, Mark Bayani Teodosio, for our consent to use your track, Be Your Own Hero Rebirth, that you heard partially during our break. Our advisors, Alison De La Cruz, Rian De Los Reyes, and Safo Teologo. Our community partners is Filipino American Life, SoCal Filipinos, and Track Table, and all of our community members for your shares and support. As always, we'll share more about our guest speakers' offerings on our Instagram stories and highlights for permanent access with any of their upcoming events. Be sure to follow us at Philippine X in Wellness on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and on Twitter at Philippine X, the letter N, well, followed by the letters N and S. Don't forget to continue to hit the subscribe button on our Philippine X in Wellness YouTube channel. Thank you always for believing in us. Be well, everyone. Continue to take care of yourselves and each other. Daghang salamat. Maraming salamat. Thank you.